If you're focusing on customers, you don't have to worry about competition because it takes care of itself. And so if you're worried about product positioning and pricing, it's probably not in quote unquote your lane. You have a team for that to work on that and you know in the form of the product organization and the marketing organization. So lean on those experts who hope it takes a village to really build a company. Welcome to the OpStars podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty, and I'm joined by Jeff Ignacio. Welcome, Jeff. Well, Rachel, thanks for having me on. So Jeff is a sales operations leader and an advisor to numerous startups. He's also the host of the Revenue Architect podcast, a podcast for anyone deeply interested in building go-to-market capabilities, revenue operations, and revenue enablement, very much aligned to the audience that we have here for the OpStars podcast. Jeff brings a breadth of knowledge, learned from his experience across a variety of sales and revenue operations positions. Prior to his current position leading sales ops in a large public company, he was the head of revenue and growth operations at Upkeep, where he built and developed a team composed of marketing operations, business systems, customer success operations, and revenue enablement. That's quite the remit that you've had across RevOps. Jeff, you're here today, obviously, because of all of your great expertise, but what also prompted me to reach out to you is at the end of every podcast, I ask my guests, who would they most like to take to lunch? And your name has come up a few times. Oh, I'm flattered. (laughs) So I did a little bit of an intro, but maybe tell us, how did you end up in an operations role and maybe highlight a little bit of your career journey? Yeah, definitely. So my career falling into operations is exactly what that sounds like, falling into it. At Google, I was an FP&A partner supporting the sales organization. So all sorts of things where you're cutting territories, looking at customer acquisition costs and building planning models for the next foreseeable future. And I noticed that my operations partners who I worked with hand in hand had a much closer relationship to the sales team. And previously I was in the sales role myself. And so Part of me started thinking, wow, that seemed like an awesome role to help operate the business and take a lot of the elements and skills that I'm doing in finance, but really getting a whole lot closer to the customer and that by extension through the sales reps. So that's how I kind of fell into the role. Took my first uh, stint at a company called Vizier. It was a, a, st- a startup typically going through some of the growing pains of a startup where you'd set up your processes, your systems. And so some of the expertise that I brought in was really around analytics, reporting. And then I had to layer on all the learnings around how to build processes, how to build systems, how to get them to work together to enable the organization to effectively meet their customers from both marketing to sales. So over the years, I've had the opportunity to work at different startups and see different environments. So Um, been really fortunate enough to really build some incredible companies. Interesting that you started off in finance. I'm hearing that as a theme a lot in revenue operations, maybe because revenue modeling and forecasting lives in finance to start. But I hear that it's often a starting point for RevOps is to come out of a finance role. Do you find that in, in the folks that you speak to on your podcast, that finance is a little bit of a theme? I feel like there are a couple of different veins to kind of get into the business uh, or at least into the role. I find that uh, some one of the more common routes is actually through a technical administration role. So folks who are administering different go-to-market systems, 
the landscape has changed dramatically before, you know, systems were on-prem and they were in the bastion of IT shops, but moving the cloud has actually enabled a lot more configuration on the fly and, and brought a lot of that expertise in-house to the functional level, to the sales and marketing departments. Another vein that I see is like an, either an analytics or a finance role. Those type of backgrounds tend to have a holistic view of the overall business. And so being able to see the forest from the trees uh, gives them a perspective that maybe some of the folks from the technical background do not necessarily see. And then the third background is kind of coming from frontline sales or a frontline marketing role who have a deep appreciation for the science aspects of you know go-to-market and generating revenue and kind of tailoring and bringing some of the frontline elements from sales or marketing into into their first foray into ops. And, you know, I think all three can be incredibly successful in the role. We talked a little bit before this episode, and I know something that you're kind of keen to, to talk about with the crowd of operations professionals is, and you think there's a huge opportunity in front of them to really move from what has typically been a role that's behind the scenes, reactive order takers to stepping into a role that's more about a valued partner to sales. How can ops professionals make that kind of a shift? So it's definitely not an easy one, but it's something that can be chipped away at. And over time, you start to earn that seat at the table, decision-making table. So there's a couple of things that I prescribe that I think are easy to learn and hopefully to put into practice. The first is really to uh, provide value. And one of the easiest way to provide value is not just serving the data on a reactive basis, but taking the time to analyze it find a couple of nuggets here or there. And over time, you start to make little miniature psychological deposits with your partners. And from there, you're starting to really level up your acumen in the business because you have been studying the business inside and out. And it allows you to you know, have answers that other folks may not have. And that, that, brings, that brings tremendous unique value. The second piece is uh, ruthless prioritization. Not necessarily to be ruthless, but to be very protective of your time and to focus on those critical path items, what really matters in the business. There are so many rocks, some are big, some are small, and you really want to find you know, what's really important to help drive the business forward. Third is really taking a lot more initiative, right? So those projects that are not necessarily assigned to you, but definitely need to uh, be addressed in some form or fashion. So not necessarily to be a firefighter, but to put a plan together and finding ways to communicate up and across to all of your partners that this is something that potentially needs some fixing and that you have a solution in mind and you would love to partner or bring some others to the tables so that you can execute on some of those solutions. Um, those are some of the like maybe three easy steps to kind of earn your way up and move up the ladder, so to speak. And I think Sage advice, whether you're in RevOps or not. Yeah, so maybe we can get you to elaborate a little bit. How does an operations person understand that business context? Maybe give an example. I think one of the easiest things to do is just learn uh, the objectives of the business. So um, there's different goal setting frameworks out there. But you know, if, if you're listening to this and you're in SaaS, you're probably using some sort of OKR framework. Or if you come from like the Mark Vanioff school, you're looking at some sort of V2 mom framework. But your goals are usually published and used at the end um, and cascaded throughout the organization at the beginning of the year. Every quarter, you sort of recalibrate those goals as well. So starting at the beginning of a quarter, you have the opportunity to take some of those annual goals and move them into smaller chunks in tighter intervals. And so it allows you to course adjust throughout the year. So for example, if you're falling behind plan, you may have a strategy to try to you know, juice 
the pipeline or try to increase close rates by implementing some of the changes that you have in mind. And so when you're thinking about learning the business, start with the goals, the objectives from your planning, and then you'll usually have some sort of metrics by which you can measure success by. And so those metrics are typically in the form of plan, in the form of targets, hiring headcount. And then beyond that, you start to break to these secondary metrics, which are much more controllable than a revenue target, such as pipeline generation, close rates, deal velocity. You can start to dissect the business into smaller chunks. And that's where you start to raise your business acumen by targeting those objectives and what are the drivers underneath those objectives. Yeah, I think in sales, that is probably easier to do than other parts of the business just because the way sales structures and cascades all the way down to the individual role where, hey, an SDR probably needs to make a certain number of calls every day. So how can you help them achieve those goals? I think that's what makes sales one of the simplest but yet most difficult professions because you're goaling on targets and quota. But at the same time, it's not as easy to hit those targets. There's a myriad of ways you can do it. So there's an element of compounding that can happen in sales. For example, when you're going through your sales stages, and not to say that you know, you know your sales motion is, is binary, sequential in nature, but in some ways we have to collar it by creating these sales stages with entry and exit criteria. Naturally, there are these conversion rates that happen. You go through maybe a stage one, through stage two, all the way to stage five, and you have these conversion percentages. Now, what if you just did a simple exercise of fine-tuning improvement 1% at each stage of the funnel? You'd actually have a, um, a compounding effect to the FIP, or depending on how many stages you have, and that has a multiplying effect throughout uh, the bottom line or the top line, the top line deals that come in. And so you want to be very thoughtful around where can we improve things at this stage to the next stage, and your bottlenecks are really your first bottleneck. So if you solve that first bottleneck at the top of the funnel, then you start addressing what's happening in the middle of the funnel. And then you start working on what's happening at the tail end. So I think that's gold because that is the core, I think, of thinking strategically, moving from tactical fixes of data and systems to working back from those key key conversion rates. I love that. That's great advice. Why should folks kind of lift their head and, and think about becoming more strategic? Why is that critical? Well, there's a story that I've read. Uh, it's like... Um, from this entrepreneurial operating system. It's, uh, it's called EOS Worldwide. And it's a story from them, so I'm going to give them credit. But I, I thought this was really great. So a group of explorers are cutting their way through a thick morass of jungle. And they're cutting through these vines and these trees. And they realize they're lost. They don't know where they are. They, they're off track. And so one of the folks in the group decides to climb the tree and climb the nearest tree. And as soon as he gets to the top of the canopy, he can overlook where he is and they realize they've gone off track. And that's when you start to think, wait, so instead of going in and just hacking your way to the jungle, why don't you actually map your course and take stock of where you are? There's opportunity to be strategic. There's no way that you, know, you can be strategic 100% of the time because you still do need to walk through the forest and the jungle. But you know, take those moments, right? That's where planning comes into effect at the end of the year. You're starting to plan, not just for the immediate, the next four-term view, but you're also hopefully a part of those conversations around the long-term three-year vision of the company. And you work backwards from that. I think a lot of operators can get lost in the day-to-day because it is so critical to keep those lights on, to keep the data flowing between those pipelines. But you want to make sure that you understand you know, what you're a part of. Because one of the biggest things that I think operations folks want to be a part of is that they're part of a mission and that mission is best served. And the only way to really, you know, touch in and get connected to that mission is to really know where the business could potentially go. 
Oh, I love that. Seeing the forest for the trees is super important. Zooming out to see the business and understanding the business direction. I do think it's also advantageous for operations professionals to be even looking out at the market, like even outside the company to see what trends are happening. Or is that just maybe a step more than is necessary? I would say yes and no in some ways. Just yes, because there are benchmarks that can be addressed and incorporated into your decision-making that I think could be hugely powerful. So for example, if you cohort cohort yourself against businesses with similar ACVs, similar selling motions, similar industries, you can then start to have some benchmarks that make a lot of sense. And it's a barometer or a North Star for you to hopefully best, you know, these indexes and benchmarks are great to, to beat. And also know at the same time, right? Like I, I like to think that if you're focusing on customers, you don't have to worry about competition because it takes care of itself. And so if you're worried about, you know, thinking about product positioning and pricing, it's probably not in quote unquote your lane. Um, there, you, you have a team for that to work on that, and, you know, in the form of the product organization and the mar- marketing organization. So lean on those experts who hope it takes a village to really build a company. Now, that, that's a great perspective. As you, uh, you think about an ops professional wanting to build that trust, what challenges might you face in trying to make that step into being more strategic so that you can maintain the trust, even in the event that it doesn't all work? Because it doesn't always all work. Any thoughts or advice so that folks don't feel hesitant to kind of take that step forward? Well, there are certain things that are table stakes. So you want to make sure that your bases are covered. And so you have to find a path away from there. You know, I can tell you that in my early 20s that, you know, just started to try to outwork everybody, right? As you, you know, move up in your career, you're not necessarily going to, you know, try to outcompete or outwork everyone. So you have to work smarter, right? And, And the word for working smarter really is how can I accomplish the same amount of work in less with less time or, or fewer resources. And so the way to do that is through either automating, having kind of these this workload taken on by others. Second is either descoping the work and really prioritizing is this even still relevant? Is it really important? A lot of times the traditions of a business can get in the way of the innovation. So you want to be careful around just doing things for the sake of doing things and, and really take the opportunity to say, there's a better path. There's a, li- a more linear path here. Let's, let's just take that shorter way of doing things and transform some of these microprocesses or macro processes within the company. And once you do that, you're actually able to take some of the time savings back and allows you to uh, reallocate that mind share. And so when you do have you know that surplus of time you can start to then think, okay, where can I reapply this? And by doing so, you're hopefully tackling some of the projects that you're really keen to take on in the first place. That's great advice. So start off with first getting a lot of those things off your plate, prioritizing, automating, then that would give you the ability to take the step forward to maybe take on those more strategic conversations. But don't just jump to try to be a trusted advisor when you still have all this crap on your plate that you're still dealing with. You won't have the headspace, the time to really be able to to move to that next step, you know, becoming more of a valued partner. I think that's the perspective, you know, looking bottoms up from the individual. There's the other perspective where, you know, your leaders assess capacity against, against that much needed work that needs to be completed. And so if the team is over capacity, it's about time potentially to increase the bandwidth by expanding the scope of the team, Mm-hmm. There are definitely ways to to do it aside from just working smarter. But, you know, just thinking as a former manager myself, it's okay, well, how do I increase capacity? I think here's a couple of other ways to do it and reallocate the time of my my team to take on some some interesting work that they've been dying to take on. Yeah, that makes sense. So tell us, I know you're constantly innovating and 
building new capabilities. Anything new and interesting that you're working on right now? I'm glad you asked. In the new year, I'm actually working on it now. I'm, I'm writing a playbook. So I'm obviously working for a large publicly traded cloud company. And so a lot of the learnings that I've had in the past at, at smaller startups, uh, before the memory starts to fade, I want to start documenting what I've learned and hopefully be able to share it with others. And so I'm working on a framework or a playbook, really. It's called the Revenue Operations Impact Framework. So ROI, I hope it's catchy enough that people remember it because I really believe that RevOps has a tremendous lever in the company to enable you know higher enterprise value up into the right type of things. You know, those conversations can only be had if you're able to scale processes. And so um, the RevOps impact framework, I'm hoping will, will be useful to, to many of the same situation that I was in the last couple of years, uh, to be able to roll out the carpet, build up processes, scale systems, bring an enablement, and then advise by increasing better decision-making. And so by using that, I'm looking forward to hopefully releasing it in the new year. Excellent. Well, you'll have to come back on and share the details of it when you do publish it. So I look forward to hearing about that. Thank you. I have a couple of final questions uh, that I ask everybody at the end of the, the podcast. What advice do you have for someone who's just starting out in an operations role? Patience uh, would be my, <laughs> play the long game. So if you're just starting out, I think the situation you're in and the hill you want to climb can, can seem daunting, but you know, have a long-term mindset. And so if there are things that you want to learn along the way, uh, work backwards from what those things are. Seek mentors uh, or sponsors um, along the way as well. Those mentors and sponsors are going to level your knowledge up, give you the courage to be able to take risks, and also hopefully open doors on your behalf as well. Um, so if you're just breaking in, you know, think the long game, find mentors, find sponsors, roll up your sleeves, put in the work. Um, opportunities will definitely open up for you. Excellent. Thank you for that. And finally, who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch? Yeah. One person that I was talking to a couple months back and I think is a tremendous leader in his own right, uh, Franco Anzini. He's the VP over at uh, Malwarebytes. So I'd love to take him for lunch, pick his brain, spend time with him. Excellent. Good choice. I love Franco. He's been a part of OpStars for many years. He's always gives one of the, some of the most compelling presentations. So wholeheartedly agree. Maybe I'll join the two of you if we can get him out for lunch. Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jeff. I appreciate your time today. It's great having you on. Appreciate you. Thank you again. The Opstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for Opstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Opstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.